0: to the sunny side, the podcast that makes solar energy relatable, accessible, and attainable. Join us as we journey behind the scenes with women taking amazing strides in all parts of the solar industry. I'm your host, Sharon Lee, and thank you for joining us today. Welcome to another episode of The Sunny Side. In fact, this is our first episode in 2023, so we are excited to Get the year started off right, and I think everybody's going to be very excited about the guest that I have today. But before we get to her, um, let's dive into Sharon's Corner. What have I been up to since our last episode? And well, first, I should say Happy new year, except for the fact that we are pre-recording boss because there's been some exciting stuff going on in the world of solar, and we wanted to be kind sort of hot off the grasp with what's going on. So let's see. In the past, I just got back from Naples, Florida with my little 12-year-old who had been on a football team. We did a tournament down there. They came in in the nation, which is pretty cool. So they somehow made it past their regionals. We kind of didn't think we were going to Florida. And then, okay, here we go. And, and they did great. So this is great. And then speaking of football, my guest is also a Tennessee fan, and so we were... I'm going to talk about how great Tennessee did against Clemson, but we're recording this, so we don't know. So we're just gonna wish them luck and hope that, that works out. But anyway, like I mentioned before, since the last episode, we had a landmark vote here in Georgia. And I am not talking about our Senate runoff, which is pretty really good news in and of itself. But we are I'm talking about the rate case that happened with Georgia Power. We we're going on community care rates and what the vote was on the Public Service Commission and implications of that. So I thought a perfect set into my next guest. She is, like I said, a ball fan. She is a little burst of energy and always have a fun conversation. So I'm sure she will be no different. Welcome Katie Southworth with South Face. Happy almost new year. Happy onlook Studio, Sharon Vols. I mean,
1: they won. They did such a great job <laughs> in the future against Clemson, <laughs> and they're and they just sent out some new recruits for next year already. So it's going to be a good twenty
0: twenty three too. That's we're Just speaking positivity into the yeah. into the universe, so it's yeah. going to happen, right? <laughs> for the Vols and for Solar, <laughs> the future is bright, no question. Well, all right. So let's talk a little bit about Solar let's just dive right in. And I know the solar industry is fairly young here in Georgia. And I need to back up before we get into all of the rate case and all that kind of stuff. Let's talk about you. I'm always curious, Did you like fall into the solar industry for I'm not sorry, renewables industry? Or did you intentionally seek that out as a career? Tell me a little bit about your background. So
1: I don't really know. I think it's that we found each other, right? (laughs) It kind of, I was going one way and it was going another, and it just ended up sort of being the path that I went on. I grew up in Oak Ridge, Tennessee, uh, where Oak Ridge National Lab is located. It's one of the largest research and development laboratories in the Department of Energy in the country. Of course, they do very exciting work and have done for years and years on building efficiency, solar panels, energy storage. So my parents worked there, and everybody in Oak Ridge, the small town, pretty much works at the lab. So it's it's ORNL, the Oak Ridge National Lab. So I was around it, kind of just thinking just by osmosis, became a part of me. And then when I was in, I went to Vanderbilt undergrad and did some work for a land trust for Tennessee, on land conservation, got interested in conservation issues, always kind of had been, because I grew up um, in the East Tennessee in the mountains, just like being outside, enjoy the outdoors. So did some land conservation issues. And then in law school, I went to law school at University of Tennessee in Knoxville after a brief sit in China where I saw a lot of pollution and got sort of a, that sort of uh, sharpened my interest in environmental issues and the impact it has on human welfare. Then I went back to law school and then took a energy and environmental law course from Professor Jamie Van Nostrand, my second year of law school, and sort of. I don't know how to explain it other than to say I had a bit of an epiphany where everything came together and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I want to do this. Right? Uh, yeah. Everybody else in law school, I felt like many of them had lawyers in their family, you know, and they they sort of knew what they wanted to do in terms of practicing law. And I didn't really, other than I knew I wanted to help people and maybe do something with environmental. I wasn't really interested in working in a law firm. I knew I wanted to work in the public interest. But then once I took the energy law course, regulation course with Jamie Van Nostrand and then environmental law forces after that I just sort of knew it's like this I get this like I can understand this like I think I can do this I can it just sort
0: of made sense. Don't I remember hearing that you say that you were just the crazy kid that would show up at the TVA coal ash hearings and
1: oh yeah well so actually I was showing up at TVA before the coal ash so in 2008 I want to say Christmas 2008 there was a Kingston coal ash spill. It you know, at the time, one of the largest environmental disasters in the country on land, anyways, for in terms of. So, a coal ash pond burst in Kingston, Tennessee, just down the road from where I grew up, and some houses were, you know, knocked down and just terrible mess. So there are a So, of course, you know, I was this uh, very idealistic and energized law student. So, I was like, what can I do about this? So, yeah, I, I showed up at Southern Lights for Clean Energy and interned with them. But before that, I had already been showing up at TVA's Integrated Resource Planning meetings, their board meetings back in the day. Then nobody at the time showed up to those. It oh. you was know, like me and Stephen Smith with SACE and a couple other people. It was before there was much interest in utility planning. So I know oh, I always got some strange looks, but I was just kind of interested in it. So I decided to show up. I mean, it was just down the road from the law school, so. And then the collapse bill happened, and so I, you know, got involved. That was sort of an activating moment where I said, "No, I, I'm going to actually do something about it."
0: And then you also worked on the low income efficiency program, right? And kind of that was on the Bredesen team, right? So pre the West Tennessee solar farm,
1: right? Yeah. So I worked after law school. I um, it, when I was in law school, I did a, some work. Where I had a fellowship with the Bipartisan Policy Center in Washington D.C., which was I've was so fortunate to be a Speedo Sagliano scholar there. I worked on cap and trade legislation. Remember that when yeah. we that was the thing at <laughs> the federal level. <laughs> hey, if you told me we didn't we weren't going to get it, I would not have believed you in oh eight oh nine. Yeah, so I was working in D.C. there, and then started when the Recovery Act passed after I graduated law school. Did work on the low income weatherization program that technical assistance for DOE, because that program got quite a large bump in the Recovery Act, which is kind of reminiscent of now what we're seeing with the federal money that's coming in under the Inflation Reduction Act and infrastructure bill. But so then I decided, when I was in D.C., I got a call from the state energy office director in Tennessee who worked for Governor Bredesen and said, look, we've got all this Recovery Act money coming. We need to hire someone in the office and we need some help. Will you come? And I was like, I'm immediately, I'm coming. After the coal ash bill, as a matter of fact, so about a year before that, when the coal ash bill in heaven, I went to Southern for Clean Energy and said, How can I volunteer? And I went to the state energy office and I said, I want a job. Give me a job when you get one. I want to work for you. And then once, so once the, the, the recovery act passed and they realized they needed to, be, to staff up, they called me. So I guess I actually went after the solar industry, if you think about it, because I kind of was bothering anybody that would listen to give me a job, really. So that's how I got the job. With the bredesen administration and of course governor bredesen is a pioneer at the time Um, i ran volunteer state solar initiative for him and so that was 62 million dollar program 31 of it went to which is this is like 2010 to some more money you know inflation there was a lot of money still a lot of money but 31 million of it for a large utility scale solar farm in west tennessee and then the other, the remainder went to uh, University of Tennessee, where we did rooftop solar grants and uh, other sort of value chain grants to manufacturers and companies working in the solar industry. But that West Tennessee Solar Farm was a huge project. People thought we were unreasonable.
0: Well, and, nice it. and that was only five nags, if I remember right. I mean, that wouldn't even be considered utility scale, really, at this point. So right. and for that to be that, wow, this is outlandish, is pretty crazy. Yeah, I think at the
1: time, so 2010, we got the grant from the feds to start the Volunteer State Solar Initiative. At the time, there was less than a megawatt of solar, probably less than half megawatt, you know, on the grid in Tennessee. So that was, and we're talking about just game changing, right? So by the end of the four years that we're running that program, we'd had something like 50 megawatts in Tennessee installed. From zero to 50. I mean, it look, that's like, you know, small potatoes nowadays, but the five megawatts and we got it. When it went online, it was the largest installation in the Southeast. And it was kind of the first of its kind. It was right off of the interstate next to a rest center traveled. Uh, it is one of the run by the state park. So it's a demonstration site that also generates solar energy. And we took the, re- the we structured it such so that the revenue that was generated from the array will go back into expansion of the array. So it expanded, has expanded to, at the time it was up to 10 megawatts. I think that they're doing it, they're able to do more now. So the earn revenue, buy more panels, build it out more. It was nuts trying to figure out how to get that project done. I think for anybody that would have been a challenge, much, but, but then add that you're working with federal government money for state government and then having to go through all the approvals and stuff. So it was,
0: um, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. But that didn't stop you. So you kept on with this train uh, still going with renewables. And there were still some other stops along the way before you got to South Face. You were with worked on some FERC projects and all over the country, right? Yeah, well, I worked. So after doing the work
1: with Governor Bredesen, when he left office, of course, he started the Silicon Ranch so company um, that does large scale projects. And then I continued on to the state of Tennessee, I worked for Governor Haslam and under, actually was worked under got Democrat and Republican, got promoted under Republican administration. You know, the Tennessee's they're pretty moderate. We were continuing to do good clean energy work. So I stuck around. And then I worked on our response to the Clean Power Plan, which is an Obama administration plan that came down. So I worked on our response to that and then left the state after five and a bit years and then started working for national environmental groups. I did work with a sustainable FERC project, did FERC work, did um did some state regulatory work, state utility docket stuff with Natural Resources Defense Council and others. Okay. So I did a lot, a little bit of everything for about six years after I left the state, just thrown into different types of advocacy opportunities at state level, local level, and federal level, wherever they could plug me in. Or I think I was willing to travel. So I would send out West a lot into the
0: Southeast too. Well, and now you still split your time between Atlanta and Nashville, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, still yeah. On that plan of moving around. Yeah. We've got
1: an office. South Face has an office, satellite office now in Sarasota, a new college campus. And
0: it's not bad. I go down there when I can. Oh, yeah. That's a good thing yeah. you know, if you can get it for sure. Tell us what South Face is for anyone that has not heard like the cradle 101 on what South Face is. So, we're a nonprofit. We're based, headquartered in Atlanta. I've
1: been around over 40 years uh, dedicated to sustainability in the built environment, which is a big, that's a big, you know, touches a lot of things. We have an advocacy program that I'm the manager of. And then um, we have research, technical assistance, education programs, do workforce development. Uh, we have grant programs that give grants to nonprofits that want to improve their uh, energy use. And we have a design consulting team, too. So we work broadly in sustainability in the built environment. And then my role as advocacy program director is to help push policies uh, in, at the state and federal and local levels that help sort of support the built environment of the future that we want to see, which means resilience, which means, you know, getting to net zero carbon um, and then pushing renewables, but also efficiency. We look at things holistically. We're not just a solar. We look at all the solutions. Right.
0: And you joined them in 2021. I mean, was, see, we both had this crazy past, changing jobs just post-COVID, and like oh, yeah. yeah. the story? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. It's been fun.
1: I came to South Face because that I- well, I had worked with South Face when I was with the state of Tennessee. They did a project with us on building codes training, and they did such an amazing job sort of train the trainer, teaching um, building codes inspectors how to learn the updated code and, and teach others how to inspect buildings. And that was my first sort of interaction working with South Face and was really impressed by it. And then oddly, you know, I've been had this strange interest in learning more about building codes. So <laughs> it's kind of like percolating in the back of my mind, like, I'd like to learn more about this. So this is a nice opportunity for me.
0: Well, and it's all interconnected. You know, you have your building code and all that information and then all the different types of renewables. And you said you don't look at it from what you look at it more of as a holistic approach. So so then you help clients. You said that you don't have to be members be a member of health days, but you can reach out for sustainable planning and group and bring a project. Yeah. And they'll take a look and see if right? Absolutely. So we don't uh you know build things for our
1: clients or members. Yes, please become a member. We have great that that's a concern. disturbance membership. That's not my point. Oh yeah, no, no. Oh yeah, no. We have really great events, summer, you know, winter solstice we just had. they Shared, you've probably been to a few of them. They're a lot of fun and you get a discount if you're a member. So that's nice. And your newsletter and things. But in terms of How we work with clients on their sustainable plans for sustainability, of course, we've worked with cities to help them design their 100% clean energy plans. We've also worked with private sector clients like Chick-fil-A doing design consulting where we help them develop their standards around, you know, their portfolio of, of buildings and operations and understanding energy costs, carbon impacts, those types of things. But we, you know, we'll help design consulting but we won't build the system you know we're not actually out there we'll help clients identify solutions and then there it's up to them to select contractors and i think occasionally south base will help with that more but we're never never sort of on the rooftop put in a solar panel or
0: yeah but you have some case studies that you have done where you have helped some companies through you know, doing their research and that sort of thing. We can put a link to some of those case studies, but if you have any specific examples that might help someone understand what all you do, feel free to share.
1: Well, sure, so we've also, I'll share a link to our different program pages. Okay. We have a number of really good examples about our Good Use grant program on the website. So this is for nonprofit companies. Up until recently, weren't able to take advantage of certain tax credits. So we've set up a program called Good Use that allows nonprofits to apply, to have us come in, evaluate their facilities, identify uh, plans and offer in different stages, right? For reducing their energy costs. So for example, food banks across the US we worked with. So the food banks, we work with local theaters, Boys and Girls Club had been a huge partner there. And so do an audit, help them identify solutions, give a grant to help fund some of it, but then you know it's up they often chip in or get financing for additional measures. And uh so we're that allows them to save money to invest back in their bottom line. And it's similar, you know, similar thinking or reasoning. still so reason to do it for our private sector clients as well. You know, new sustainability, operating your business sustainably doesn't mean, you know, warm beer and keeping the office cold, right? It means maintaining productivity but just spending being more efficient spending less to do the same but right. the
0: so that was going to be my next next question if i were a business owner how would that how would your programs apply to me so you probably did you just answer that or is there more that you might want to talk about like what you're doing build the part
1: yeah that's, that's well first of all sign up to be a member and says <laughs> right. our, donor, our, our, our person who you know would like me to say that i'm sure absolutely and, uh, Yeah, you can contact our design consulting team, and they'll come out, talk to you about your needs, and can come up with a plan. And they're a really fun team to work with. Got a lot of younger engineers that are eager to get out there and try new things and to get their, you know, get their boots on. And so they've they've worked in all kind with all kinds of clients, you know, large all the way up to small, you know, small theaters and things that we've we've showed up at. So.
0: Well, and with, you know, ESG goals and things like that being such a big part of business right now, working with a company like, or an organization like you all, where they can be measurable, you know, they're tied to something something that's a little bit more engineered rather than say, okay, well, we're going to take a stab at, at these goals. I mean, that seems like it makes a whole lot more sense to go that route. Yeah, I mean, it's a
1: whole, with, with the new rules, the SEC for publicly traded companies, but also for private companies too, that just are starting to evaluate Set ESG goals, but also you are considering risk of in their you know their contribution to carbon emissions and the like. There's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, we have a great team that's happy to help.
0: Okay, okay. Well, and I should all I always want to ask about mentorship. So, you know, there's so many different ways that folks go about that. Some people just really want to lift up new hires or, you know, try to get them more plugged in the industry. But you all have a more specific program. Hey, right? Do you want to talk a little bit about mentorship at South Face? Thanks sir, for uh, the opportunity to share about
1: that. We have a army of volunteers and interns. We have an um, internship application Um, That can be submitted through the website. We also regularly work with grad students and fellows. Agnes Scott has given us the advocacy program has supported a couple fellows with our program. They've been indispensable. Our members often chip in and volunteer too. I have an accountant that's currently a member, Barbara, uh, who is Barbara Lee. She's a retired accountant and a South member. She just wanted to help out with the Inflation in Reduction Act uh, advocacy that we're doing. And so we're working with her to understand some of these tax rules and things. And so there are plenty of opportunities. You can volunteer, become a member of volunteer, apply to become an intern. You have an opportunity to, to get a fellowship or through your university for grad students, for example. It, that's another way. So if you want to help join the team and chip in, we'll find a way to bring you into the fold. <laughs>
0: right, right. There's no problem there. That's for sure. Well, I really wanted to have you as my guest for the January episode because we knew that the Public Service Commission was going to be, you know, making their vote on the rate pain and, and all that. But I we to talk a little bit about the background, like how this comes about, about how, you know, every three years this is studied and you know, what exactly is the great case? So maybe start yeah. giving us a little bit about what the Service Commission does and, and all that. Great. Okay. So I'm going to plug first. We have on our YouTube channel, a six-part
1: training series on utility planning in Georgia. If you care to yeah. learn more about the acronym soup that people talk about, this it demystifies itself. So plug our YouTube videos, but, but I can give the quick and dirty. So every three years... Under store, Georgia statute, regulated utilities—that means investor-owned, publicly traded—you know, stocks and bonds, just stocks—utilities <laughs> have to come to the Public Service Commission. So that's Georgia Power is the only one that's subject to the Georgia, the Public Service Commission. The rest of Georgia, they run themselves. They have to come into the commission and they give a plan. It's called an Integrated Resource Plan, or IRP. I'll avoid to many acronyms, but the Integrated Resource Plan essentially is: what do you need to do over the next? 10, 20 years to meet demand, right? And so over 35 states do this. Georgia's not the only one that has a statute that requires it, but Georgia's is every three years, Georgia Power comes in, they say, we're going to retire this coal, we're going to build this natural gas, we're going to build this solar, we're going to use this amount of energy efficiency, and it's basically stack the resources to meet the demand of the customers. So you forecast how much energy you're going to sell, and then you have to figure out The least cost resources to meet the demand. That's the long and short of it. It gets complicated real quick, but really it's what do you need to do to keep, to maintain the system and to continue to sell to your customers? Now that happens every three years. That's the IRP, Interview Resource Plan. So that decision happens January to July, set by statute. The commission will vote on this company's plan. And so we got involved in that as an intervener. We suggested some improvements to the plans. I've got a number of them, and then and there's you know a fair amount of solar, utility scale solar in there. They're 2.4 gigs. So, but anyhow, that plan gets approved by the commission. So that's what is Georgia Power going to do? And then after that, there's a rate case, and that's basically how are you going to pay for it? What should customers pay for the company to be able to con- to execute on this plan for the next three years? And so the rate case immediately follows the resource planning cases. Mm -hmm. What are you going to do? Then the case is, how are you going to pay for it? And so South Face's role is as a full-on intervener in that proceeding, which means that we do discovery. We bring in experts. We have go through data requests. It's a very involved process, but others do things. It's also possible to send in public comments, send in letters. You can get involved if you're interested in it. Give me a call. Happy to help anytime. The, The rate case just got a decision Two days ago, on that one. So and so, our job is done, right for that. Now, if we argued for a number of things. Got a few things happening. I don't know. I don't know what level of detail you want to hear about, but basically, the rate case is another plan for how rates are going to look like for the next three years, and they're going up. So that's the headline, really. The think the takeaway is, George Powers retiring a lot of coal. They're bringing on renewables. They're not bringing a lot of rooftop solar on, unfortunately. But there's an opportunity to do more because it's a least cost resource. But costs are going up like everything else with inflation. And everyone in Georgia should, if you're a Georgia Power customer, should probably brace yourself for higher bills and start thinking about the solutions that we work with, that you work on, Sharon. Right. Folks should start thinking about that now because. I I would. I will get off my soapbox, but I wanted to share that a couple of days ago. As I'm sort of reflecting on all of this, acknowledging that the average residential customers bill could, could go up by 30 to 40 percent in the next two years. It's a lot. It is a lot. Um, I was looking at, you know, planning for the future and how much am I in Georgia likely to spend as if I were a residential customer? And this is a business audience, but it's, it, it translates. Sure. Over the next 10, 20, 30 years on electricity. Before these rate hikes, we're looking at, I was looking at my average, I'm not going to say how much energy electricity I use, I use more than I should, but I'm wondering I'm, I'm floating around any day. But anyways, I am lower than the average Georgia Power Cut residential customer, but I'm not much lower. Okay. So over the next 20 years, I can be spending, you know, upwards of $80,000, $90,000 on energy bills, electricity alone, oh, well. just after on average. And this is before some of these rate hikes. That's a lot of money. Thirty years. I'm looking at, and this is a residential customer, hundred plus before these rate hikes and the ones that are coming. And so, if you're taking the long view and you're you plan to, you know, live in a building for a long time or be in a building, now is the time to invest in in measures and solutions that can help you control your costs because it's going up, up, up.
0: Well, and I think that control is a great word. And you know, moving back over to the commercial sector. You know, if you are trying to hedge inflation in your team, you have a cost before, like which is energy, and it's only going up. How do you control that? Well, this is a way to control it by moving something like solar or where, you know, you're not just at the mercy of where these rates are going. But I should say that so we do have some negative reading increase. So George power had originally asked for a 12% rating for increase over the next three years. So they didn't just give them a yes looks to these nice. yes. Tell us about the, the stair-step approach that they agreed to vote. So there's, so yeah, I'm glad for to clarify.
1: So in January 1, so this is airing in January, so this has already happened, 2.8 increase on the average bill, 2.8%. And then in 2023, there'll be an initial 4.5% increase. And then in 2025, another 4.5% percent increase. So originally there was going to be a jump where it, the bills would all of a sudden go up, right? And so the commission and we were able to, we actually brought in a commissioner from Colorado up to, to testify on this. The idea that, well, economy is uncertain, that we should be, you know, the company should be ratcheting up additional well, this, this federal funding that's coming. They shouldn't be able to front load and do an immediate 12 percent increase because that would be Unsustainable for a lot of families right now, but it's still going up. But we're like frogs in boiling water, right? Like it's going to go up a little bit, then it's going to go up a little bit, 4.5, then it's going to go up 4.5. And if you have a, if you're, you know, even a moderate sized commercial customer, you know, that's a lot of money potentially Mm -hmm. for you. And I have to say, add that in February, March of 2023, there's going to be another docket that's going to be another bill, result in another bill increase related to natural gas costs that are increasing. And then there's going to be another increase in the next two years once the nuclear plants come online. I mean, I'm assuming, I'm assuming at this point that they will, right? So once mobile comes online. So that's, you're looking at like six, seven bill increases in the next two, three years. So now is the time to put some, to identify solutions, whether it's solar, building efficiency, domain response, all the things, bills are going up. So, so this decision is locked in the 2.3, 4.5, 4.5 that's over the next three years an increase, but there's more coming.
0: Right. Well, and then there was a, why don't you tell us a little bit about the r and that was done on the short term and pending, because that was part of the rate. There's an all is that and yeah. you and that sort of thing. So tell us a little bit about what that is, a good definition of it and what the result of that is. So yeah, South
1: Face th- advocated for the creation, this is a few years ago in a previous rate case, at the creation of a pilot program for net metered solar, so rooftop customer-sided solar system, got a 5,000 participant program. So 5,000 customers were able to participate in it. It was ex- wildly popular. Mm-hmm. It provided for compensating at retail rate. So what you pay to the company as a retail rate electricity is what You would get, the company would pay you for the fair value of the excess solar that you're generating from your system. So that was wildly popular. Georgia Power, of course, is cost, they've got rising costs and they are looking at any ops, Mm in my opinion, they can to uh, sell more power so they can make more revenue. They see this as a threat to their business model, unfortunately, when in fact, you know, Rooftop Solar can really help them deploy least cost resources for customers, anyways. The program was really successful. In the rate case, we were, there was months and months, it was very controversial, we were going back and forth, arguing about the value of rooftop solar to the utility, right? Right, right. to the utility as a least cost resource. And so what we ended up with was sort of a split the baby approach, So. For the 5,000 customers that were able to do this pilot program, they were getting paid at a very good rate. But for everybody else, they were getting paid at avoided costs, just like 2.6 cents a kilowatt hour, just like not the thing that, you know, not good for many, especially residential. It's not going to pencil out for a lot of folks. So the commission approved instead avoided costs at 2.6% plus 4 cents. So there's a bump up in compensation that for rooftop, for customer side, it's solar, net metered solar as a result of this rate case, which is better than it was for those customers who weren't able to get into the pie. So it's better than it was. That's the news I would share with anybody looking at like, hey, if you were looking at it before and it didn't work, look at it again now because the numbers may look different for you. And just know that South Face and others are going to be advocating in the background to get it back up higher because it needs to go in the future. Like it's it's in my opinion, from like a regulatory perspective, policy perspective, it's not enough. Like from a person or a customer or company that's evaluating doing it, you know, it may work for you now if it didn't before.
0: That's right, because you know, if you are looking at sizing a system, your intention is not to sell power back. You want to consume as much as you can. Then you might have a business that doesn't work on Saturday or something like that. And yeah, inevitably they are going to have some excess remuneration. So, yes, you're right, make that that more palatable versus where it was, you know, last month. So now yep. that might make these things lot. on top of the Inflation Reduction Act being passed. So, there's better incentives here on top of the fact that rates are officially going up, but we know how much. So, you really can. Projections, which are, look at this as a cost center and see truly how you can control those costs. And I, I agree with you. I think there's there's positive sort of all. Is there still more of a fight to be had? Absolutely. But I still think that in the end, the overall is positive. So I was going to ask you to qualify as well. So the Public Service Commission, they regulate Georgia Power. So if you are a business in EMC territory, somewhere across the state. Can you expect any implications from this? Or what would you say to a business might be under that territory?
1: uh, Related to net metering
0: or just generally? In general, you know, so we know that these types of like with the rate increases and with these tariffs and that sort of thing, we know that this is what's happening for Georgia Power. But do you assume that there is some sort of connection for EMCs as well?
1: Well, I think that there's
0: no, there's connection, certainly from out of the
1: integrated resource plan, you know, there's, I mentioned the 2.4 gigs of, it, there's, there's a large amount of utility-scale solar that's going to need to be built in the state. That may happen in EMC territory, uh, you know, and then be wheeled in, it's possible there. I, we're seeing some land in Georgia with the large-scale utility solar. So if you're out in the, in some of those areas of land constraint, to me, that says that we need to be looking more at rooftop and customer sided systems. Just because the land and connections on the transmission grid, we're seeing a lot of that being constrained. And that impacts the entire state, right? When you're trying to wheel solar from one part of the state up to another, this large-scale, utility-scale solar farm deal, because of the transmission constraints and land use constraints, we've had a big bump. Everybody knows we're big on utility-scale solar, but the customer side of distributed solar is doesn't have a very high level of penetration at all in Georgia. Mm-hmm. And I think, to me, what I would say is this has revealed to me there's such significant potential and even more sort of, there's more reason to go after customer side or just invest in customer side and rooftop solar. So there's a case that could be made to EMCs. With the investment tax credit, then there's a couple other potential, like a 10% bump if you're a disadvantaged community. Mm-hmm. There's some other grants that are beyond just the 30% tax credit that a public power utility could definitely take advantage of, right? Like, would, that they can now really utilize. So I would say that's there. But in terms of the rate case, the decision on RNR impacting others, EMCs, I don't think it will. Okay. But unless it incentivizes a legislator to come and make some, to draft some legislation on RNR that might impact statewide, that I mean, I suppose
0: that could happen. So is South Face getting involved in the EMC community in the coming years? Or... <laughs> yeah we're, we're we've been evaluating it.
1: the funny yeah. thing about doing advocacy in public power so you know I come from TVA territory. I've worked in public power mm-hmm. on public power a fair amount and there's TVA in northern Georgia. The thing about it TVA when you have a large federal entity that's over a bunch of local EMCs, there's one point of advocacy but then in Georgia to get change you have to talk to like a hundred different groups for <laughs> a policy advocacy perspective, it's a little bit harder. Or, or, in terms of you know, in a resource constrained world, you know, we're a nonprofit, we're not, you know, right, right. but it's strategic about how these use our funds. But there was great news yesterday that makes me encouraged to do more work in the TVA part of northern Georgia. Michelle Moore was confirmed to the board of the Tennessee Valley Authority. Okay, now she worked with a nonprofit called Groundswell, they do solar community solar projects, they're a nonprofit, they help develop community solar projects and then others build them. They're kind of similar, kind of similar, not, not the same as South Face, but they're similarly sort of structured. Mm-hmm. So she's on the board of TVA, and I expect there to be more opportunity in TVA territory for community solar, for rooftop solar, certainly for efficiency. So we may get more involved.
0: Okay, good okay. point. Well, so I need to shift gears a little bit because we've gotten way into the thick of uh, solar policy and that sort of thing. So you just asked me, when you're not advocating for solar, what do you do for fun?
1: I sing karaoke. I love to go see music. I was a bunch of my friends were in a Christmas play, So this is after Christmas, but today is Christmas hasn't happened yet. right? I was went to, I was a Christmas musical with friends last night, got to sing along at the end and I'm a huge karaoke fan. I love music. Of course, you know, I used to go back and forth to Atlanta and Nashville. Nashville is just the place to be for karaoke, let me tell you. I, Karen, you got to come.
0: I would be your absolute biggest fan. Say, so, okay, so if I'm sitting in the audience and you're going to go out on stage, tell me like your best, best song that's kind of in your repertoire. <laughs> Don't Stop Believing by Journey. I can crush.
1: It is happens to be the number one most requested karaoke song uh, really? in the nation. That's what I was told one time I'm back to me but I, it's a great song everybody loves it and if you were in the audience i would be asking you to participate oh yeah
0: oh yeah, well, yeah. i could most definitely bring you down but i would <laughs> i would also be your biggest fan
1: <laughs> all that matters for karaoke really is enthusiasm you
0: don't have to have talent so much all right well i got count- enthusiastic yeah okay. all right yeah that's what counts count me in for sure for sure well this has been an absolutely fantastic conversation. I can't thank you enough for joining us right here in the middle of the holidays. I know that time has been a little bit crazy and trying to get this set up, but I'm really excited to, again, get this news hot off the press right after this and that sort of thing. So if people do want to reach out to you to find out more or find out more about South Face and that sort of thing, what is the best way for them to find you? Oh, great. So our, our
1: website is www.southface.org. And my email is ksouthworth, k s o u t h w o r t h, at southface.org. It's to tongue twister, southworth at southface. <laughs> but you can email me anytime or just check us out on the website, get to me there. Okay. Well, or come to an event. That's great. Or become a member. Oh, I become a member <laughs> and then come to an event. Right. Yeah, and then volunteer. <laughs> and then
0: <laughs> do it just, thing. That's right. we just take it, it. I love it. Well, thanks again for joining us. I will add the links below to the case studies that we talked about and any of the information that you want to provide, so people can see some of that. And I would say happy holidays, but it's January, so oh yeah, what a great holiday break we had <laughs> just had. Lovely. go, go. go, go. Go balls! Exactly. I'm not that note. All right. Thanks again for joining us, Katie. Thanks, Sarah. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Sunnyside Podcast. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review. You can also email questions, suggestions, and compliments to Sharon at VeloSolar.com. The Sunnyside is produced by the Podcast Laundry Production Company and executive produced by Sharon Lee.